0: In reality, that was the beginning of my last debauch. I was soon to be catapulted in what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. Near the end of that bleak November, I sat drinking in my kitchen, and I imagine it was a pretty bleak November. He started drinking on November the 11th, triggered the allergy, couldn't stop, been drunk now for about three weeks. With a certain satisfaction, I reflected there was enough gin concealed about the house to carry me through that night to the next day. My wife was at work. I wondered whether I dared hide a full bottle of gin near the head of her bed. I would need it before daylight. My musing was interrupted by the telephone. The cheery voice of an old school friend asked if he might come over. Now, this was Abby Thatcher. Bill and Abby had gone to school together when they were younger, did lots of drinking together. And Bill knew about Ebby, and he knew how Ebby drank. And he said he was sober. And if you'll notice, that's in squiggly writing. I squiggly writing in the big book is very important. This really amazed Bill, Ebby's sober. He said, well, it was years since I remember coming to New York in that condition. I was amazed. Rumor had it that he hadn't been committed for alcoholic insanity. The last Bill had heard about Ebby is Ebby was going to be committed to the state insane asylum in the state of Vermont for alcoholic insanity. That's what they used to do with people like us before we had the treatment centers. They'd haul us in front of a judge. The judge would commit us to the state insane asylum for alcoholic insanity for an undetermined period of time. Till you got well. You were stay there until you got well. And that's the last he had heard about Ebby. He said, I wondered how how he'd escaped. He was
1: amazed that Abby was out of this treatment center, or uh, insane asylum, excuse me. Same thing. Same thing. Yeah.
0: (laughs) They've renamed everything, you know, these days.
1: (laughs) Talk about dis- dysfunctional families today. Well, mine was just crazy as hell. I don't <laughs> know. But Abby, Abby come from a, a very prominent family in Albany, New York. In fact, his father was the mayor of Albany, very prominent family, and Ebby's drinking was embarrassing the family. So they called Ebby in one day and said, "Ebby, said, you're embarrassing the family with your drinking. We would like for you to just basically get out of town. And going over there to v- v- Vermont, and stay at the old summer place, and we'll be over there this summer. And while you're there, you might as well sober up. And if you get sober, you might as well make yourself useful and paint up and fix up the old summer place because we'll be using it. So Abby got out of town and went over to Vermont. He began to fix up the old summer place, painting and fixing up. And one day, he finished painting this wall, and he looked at it, and he was admiring that. And he noticed that some pigeons were doing some things on the side of his wall that he didn't like. So he went in the house and got his shotgun out, and began to shoot at the pigeons, blowing holes in the side of the wall. (laughs) Well, the the neighbors, they don't like that at all. So they called the police, and they had him arrested, and they took him before the judge, and they were going to commit him for alcoholic insanity. But Eby got real lucky. Two fellows interceded on his behalf. One guy's name was Roland Hazard, the other one was Zebra Graves. And they asked the judge if they might release Eby to their care because they were going to the Oxford group, and they felt if they took Ebby to the Oxford group meetings and if he would apply the tennis of the Oxford group to his life, maybe he too could stay sober as they had. Well, Ebby began to go to the Oxford group meetings, and he began to stay sober. And a couple of months later, he goes to New York to the Calvary Mission, which is the headquarters of the Oxford group at that time. And he began to stay there in that mission. And after a while, he decided that he remembered his friend, Bill. He said, I think I'll go over and talk to Bill. Maybe I can help Bill stay sober, as these two fellows had helped me.
0: Now, Bill didn't know any of this, though. He said, I wondered how he would escaped. Of course, he would have dinner, and I could drink opity with him. Unmindful of his welfare, I thought only of recapturing the spirit of other days. There was that time we would chartered an airplane to complete a jag. His coming was an oasis in this dreary desert of futility, The very thing in Oasis, drinkers are like that. The door opened, and he stood there fresh-skinned and glowing. There was something about his eyes. He was inexplicably different. What had happened? I pushed a drink across the table, and he refused it. Disappointed but curious, I wondered what got into the fellow. He wasn't himself. Come, what's all this about, I queried. And he looked straight at me, simply but smilingly. He said, I've got religion. Now, I'm damn glad that didn't happen in my kitchen. <laughs> I have no idea what I would have done. But here's what Bill did. He said I was aghast. So that was it. Last summer, an alcoholic crackpot. Now I suspected a little cracked about religion. He had that starry-eyed look. Yeah, the old boy was on fire all right, but bless his heart, let him rant. Besides, my gin would last longer than his preaching. But he didn't know ranting. In a matter-of-fact way, he told how two men had appeared in court persuading the judge to suspend his commitment. They had told of a simple religious idea,
1: which is step two,
0: and a practical program of action, which is steps three through twelve, that was two months ago, and the result was self-evident. It worked. So now then, Bill knows all three things. He got the problem from Dr. Silkworth. He got the solution here referred to as a simple religious idea from Evie. He got the practical program of action from Evie. So now he knows all three things. But Bill is also just like so many of us. He did not like this simple religious idea. You know, Bill's thoughts and his ideas about God and about religion and etc. were enough that made him resent what Evie had brought to him. He said he'd come to pass his experience along to me if I cared to have it. I was shocked, but interested, certainly I was interested. I had to be, for I was hopeless. He talked for hours. Childhood memories rose before me. I could almost hear the sound of the preacher's voice as I sat on still Sundays way over there on the hillside. There was that proffered temperance pledge I never signed. My grandfather's good-natured contempt of some church folk and their doings. His insistence that his fears really had their music, but his denial of the preacher's right to tell him how he must listen. You know, Bill's grandfather, Grandpa Griffith, raised him from 12 years on. And Grandpa Griffith believed in some power greater than human power, but he wouldn't let anybody tell him how he had to, to believe in it. He had a, His grandpa had a great problem with the world's religions. He'd passed that along to Bill. His fearlessness, he spoke of these things just before he died. These recollections welled up from the past, and they made me swallow hard. That wartime day in old Winchester Cathedral came back again. And Bill's having a problem now with this religious idea that Ebby's talking about. We've seen him take step one. In the next couple of pages, we're going to see him take step two. Let's see how he came to be able to accept this religious idea.
1: Bill has already took step one, so now he's between steps one and two. He hasn't took steps two yet. He began to ponder these things. He said, "I always believed in the power greater than myself. I would often pondered these things. I was not an atheist. Few people really are, for that means blind faith in the strange proposition that this universe originated in a cipher and aimlessly rushes nowhere. My intellectual heroes—the chemists, the astronomers, even the evolutionists—suggest vast laws and forces at work. But despite contrary indications, I had little doubt that a mighty purpose and rhythm underlay all. How could there be so much precise and immutable law and no intelligence?" He, I, said, I simply had to believe in a spirit of the universe who knew neither time nor limitation, but that was as far as I had gone.
0: Now here's where I really began to identify with Bill Wilson. With ministers in the world's
1: religions, I parted right there. When they talked of a God personal to me, who was love, superhuman strength, and direction, he said I became irritated and my mind snapped shut against such theories. To Christ, I could see the certainty of a great man, not too closely followed by those who claimed him. His moral teachings most excellent. For myself, I had adopted those parts, which seemed convenient and not too difficult. The rest I disregarded.
0: Anybody in here identify with Bill Wilson? Huh? You betcha. We can see that Bill's having a terrible time with this religious idea. Now let's go down to the middle paragraph. But my friend sat before me, and he made the point back declaration that God had done for him what he could not do for himself. His human will had failed. Doctors had pronounced him incurable. Society was about to lock him up. Like myself, he'd admitted complete defeat. Then he had, in effect, been raised from the dead, suddenly taken from the scrap heap to a level of life better than the best he had ever known. Had this power originated in him? Obviously it had not. There'd been no more power in him than there was in me at that minute, and this was none at all. This is where the identification process is so important. Bill knew about Ebby. He knew how Ebby drank. And he knew that if Ebby had been sober two months some power greater than Ebby had to be working in Ebby's life whether Bill likes it or not is absolutely beside the point Abby is living proof of it and that's what you and I offer to the newcomer You know, when we sit there talking to a newcomer we're living proof that some power greater than human power is working in our lives also whether the newcomer likes it or not is beside the point we are the proof of it Ebby was the proof for Bill now I'd like to have been there that day sitting in a corner watching them. Bill's about two-thirds drunk. Ebby has come out of the Oxford groups, and they were a group of people practicing first-century Christianity to the best of their ability. The terms they used were highly religious in nature. Ebby is on fire, and he's talking about God. And Bill don't like it at all. (laughs) And they're sitting there arguing with each other about who God is and what he is. And Bill said, don't give me that religious crap. Oh, yeah, I believe in a great mind and a spirit of nature, but don't give me that other kind of stuff. And Ebby's trying to put it on old Bill, and they're arguing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Let's go over to page 12, first paragraph.
1: He said, despite the living example of my friend, there remained in me the vestiges of my old prejudice. Bill still doesn't like this idea. The word God still arouses a certain antipathy. When the thought was expressed that there might be a God personal to me, this feeling was intensified. He said, I didn't like the idea. I could go for such conception of creative intelligence, universal mind, or spirit of nature, but I resisted the thought of the Tsar of the heavens, however loving his way might be. I have since talked with scores of men who felt the same way. In other, w- other words, Bill was saying there's got to be a harder way to do this. <laughs> what you're saying is too simple.
0: Now, I guess be finally, finally got tired of this deal. Let's look at the next statement very carefully. If you'll notice, it's in squiggly writing. My friend suggested what then seemed the novel idea. He said, well, why don't you choose your own conception of God? In other words, he said, Bill, what are we arguing about? What difference does it make what we call him? Why don't you choose your own conception of God? And We're no longer dealing with religion now. We're dealing with spirituality. You see, religion says this is the way you have to believe. Spirituality says it really doesn't make any difference how you believe. The only question is, are you willing to believe? So we're, we're through with religion. Now we're talking about spirituality. And here's the effect that it had on Bill. That statement hit me hard. It melted the icy intellectual mountainous shadow I'd lived and shivered many years. I stood in the sunlight at last. It took all arguments away from him. He couldn't argue with that statement. He said, It was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required of me to make my beginning. I saw that growth could start from that point. Upon a foundation of complete willingness, I might build what I saw in my friend. Would I have it? Of course I would. Surely this is when Bill took step two. No step two written in those days. But here's where he came to believe in a power greater than himself based on every simple little statement, why don't you choose your own conception of God? And that statement has opened the door for countless millions of we alcoholics who were having trouble with religion. And I think the reason it really works is we're allowed here to have our own conception of God. And, you know, as I look back at my lifetime, I realize I've never had any problem with my own conception of anything. (laughs) You betcha. Let me believe the way I want to, and I'm ready to go now. Bill is now taking a step to, isn't that something? Isn't that something? When he made the statement, I saw that growth could start from that point. Upon a foundation of complete willingness, I might build what I saw in my friend. Would I have it? Of course I would. This is Bill's first reference to a wonderfully effective spiritual structure. And he's going to start painting a picture in our mind using words. Eventually, he'll tell us what the structure is and show us where we'll pass through it to freedom. Now, his first reference to it is upon a foundation of complete willingness, I might build what I saw in my, fr- in my friend. The foundation of this structure is willingness. That came from step one. When we could see that what we were doing would no longer work, period, we became willing to change. Later on, we're going to see where believing. Step two is the cornerstone of that structure. And eventually, he'll tell us exactly what It's a beautiful way to teach painting pictures in our mind using words. If we are willing, and if we believe, then we've already started the road to recovery. Bill has now taken steps one and two. Immediately, "'Abby starts taking him to Oxford group meetings. "'But remember, Bill's still drinking. "'Triggered the allergy on November the 11th. "'He can't stop. "'On about December the 10th, probably, 1934, "'Bill was put back in the hospital for the third time "'for withdrawal from alcohol by Dr. Silkworth. "'Abby comes to visit with him. "'They begin to apply the Little Oxford Group Program of Action, "'and Bill had his spiritual experience.' Let's look on page 13. Let's see if we can't see the last ten steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. He's taken one and two. Let's see if we can't see the last ten. He said, At the hospital I was separated from alcohol for the last time.
1: Treatment seemed wise, so I showed signs of delirium tremens. There I humbly offered myself to God as I then understood him, to do with me as he would. I placed myself unreservedly under his care and direction. I admitted for the first time that of myself I was nothing, that without him I was lost.
0: The first tenet that the Oxford group had was surrender. Now, Bill, later on, when he wrote the steps, he realized that no alcoholic would like the word surrender. So he changed their first step into our third step where we made a decision to turn our will and life over to the care of God as we understand him. We see him there taking the first Oxford group tenet, which turned out to be our step three. He's now taken one, two, and three. He said, I ruthlessly faced my sins. I ruthlessly faced my sins. Their second tenant was examine your sins. And Bill knew that no good alcoholic's going to do that. So he changed that into made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. He's taking step four there.
1: And became willing to have my newfound friend take them away root and branch. I've not had a drink since.
0: Became willing to have my newfound friend take them away root and branch. You'll notice friend is capitalized. This is one of the words that Bill uses for God. And that little statement, became willing to have my newfound friend take them away root and branch, later became step six and seven. We became willing to have God remove these things and humbly ask him to do so. There we're dealing with six and seven.
1: My schoolmate visited me, and I fully acquainted him with my problems and deficiencies.
0: He's taking what we know today as step five, there in the town's hospital with Ebby. We made a list of people I'd hurt and toward whom I felt resentment. I
1: expressed my entire willingness to approach these individuals, admitting my wrong. Never was I to be critical of them. I was to write all such matters to the utmost of my ability.
0: They had an Oxford group tenant called restitution. And Bill knew no self-respecting alcoholic is on a new restitution. So he took that and made two steps out of it, step eight and nine, where we made the list and became willing and then made amends. There he's dealing with eight and nine.
1: He said, I was test my thinking by the new God-conscious within. Common sense would thus become uncommon sense.
0: That statement later became step 10 where we continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong promptly explained it, I mean admitted it.
1: <laughs> That's the new step 10. I was sit quietly when in doubt. Asking only for direction and strength to meet my problems as he would have me. Never was I to pray for myself except as my request bore my usefulness to others. Then only might I expect to receive, but that would be in great measure.
0: And there we see all the elements of Step 12, where we sought through prayer and meditation, (laughs) Step 11, to improve our conscious contact with God, so on and so forth. There he's dealing with Step 11. I'm sorry, Step 11. My friend promised when these things were done I would enter upon a new relationship with my Creator that I would have the elements of a way of living which answered all my problems. It's got to be the first part of step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. So we see Bill in the town's hospital applying the Oxford group tenets, which later he made into the last 10 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And this is why he was able to say and how it works, these are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery, Bill took them in the town hospital with the help of Abby. Now let's see what happened to him. Belief in the power
1: of God plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things were the essential requirements. Simple, but not easy. A price had to be paid. It meant the destruction of self-centeredness. And I must turn in all things to the Father of Light who presides over us all. Poor old alcoholics got to give up the two most important things in our lives. And the first thing is our alcohol, and the second thing is our self centeredness. The two very things are very difficult
0: love the most. to do. Very difficult, but very simple. Yeah.
1: He said these were revolutionary and drastic proposals, but the moment I accepted them, the effect was electric. There was a sense of victory followed by such a peace and serenity as I'd never known. There was utter confidence. I felt lifted up as though the great clean wind of a mountaintop blew through and through. God comes to most men gradually, but his impact on me was sudden and profound. And for a moment I was alarmed and called my friend the doctor and ask if I was still sane. He listened in wonder as I talked. You know, Bill overheard Lois and, and Dr. Silkworth talking, so he thought he'd gone crazy. He thought he'd check out with Dr. Silkworth to see if he had gone crazy. Finally, after he told me his experience. Finally, he shook his head saying, Well, something's happened to you I don't understand. But you better hang on to it. Anything is better than the way that you were. The good doctor now sees many men who have had such experiences. He knows that they are real.
0: Now, we don't know what happened to Bill that day. We were not there to see that. But we know this was probably about December the 14th of 1934. We do know that Bill didn't die until January of 1971. We do know that it was never necessary for him to take another drink from this day until the day that he died something profound took place in his life that day bill always said i had a vital spiritual experience as the result of these steps during which old ideas were cast aside and replaced with a new set of ideas and i was able able to live the rest of my life without drinking now here's a guy that went in the hospital selfish and self-centered to the extreme always doing what he wanted to do whenever he wanted to do it. That was his attitude when he went in there. Let's look at his attitude now that he's had the spiritual experience. He said, while I lay in the hospital, the thought
1: came that there were thousands of hopeless alcoholics who might be glad to have what had been so freely given me. Perhaps I could help some of them. They, in turn, might work with others. Bill had that gigantic spiritual experience, and then he immediately begins to think how he can give it to other people. Something profound happened with Bill.
0: He said, My friend, and this time you'll notice it's a small F, he's referring to Ebby now. My friend had emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all my affairs. Particularly was it imperative to work with others as he had worked with me. Faith without works was dead, he said, and how appallingly true for the alcoholic. (coughs) For if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life, through work and self sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. If he did not work, he would surely drink again. And if he drank, he would surely die. Then faith would be dead indeed. And with us, it's just like that. Thank God Bill knew that and accepted that fact. Because when he was in Akron about to get drunk, he remembered how back in New York City, even though he'd never helped anybody else, that he himself had felt better. That's why he got hold of Dr. Bob, to try to help Dr. Bob. Not necessarily to sober up Bob, but to keep Bill from getting drunk. And thank God it kept him from getting drunk and Bob sobered up. And from there we had the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. Faith without works is dead. And you noticed know, about anybody I see drink today that's been in AA for any period of time, usually they have quit working with other people. And when they quit working with other people, they start thinking about self only. And after a while, all the old problems come back and we end up getting drunk all over again. Always working with others will help us when nothing else will.
1: He said, My wife and I abandoned ourselves with enthusiasm to the idea of helping other alcoholics to a solution to their problems. It was fortunate for my old business associates remained skeptical for a year and a half, during which I found little work. I was not too well at the time, and I was plagued by waves of self-pity and resentment. This sometimes nearly drove me back to drink, but I soon found when all of the measures failed, work with another alcoholic would save the day. Many times I've gone to my old hospital in despair. On talking to a man there, I'd be amazingly lifted up and said on my feet, it's a design for living that works in rough going. We've took a design for living that works in rough going and turned it into a non-drinking society, I'm afraid. This is a design for living. And the work is really, really hard, but the pay is really, really good too.
0: We managed to stay sober. Isn't that something? Now, if we're brand-new alcoholic out here in California, no fellowship around us first contact we've ever had is this book called Alcoholics Anonymous we've read the doctor's opinion we've been able to see what our problem is we've read Bill's story we've been able to identify with another alcoholic we've seen him go from fun drinking to drinking because of absolute necessity going finally to the sickest of all, complete oblivion then we've seen him recover from that condition now surely, surely we could say to ourselves, we're enough like this guy, that if he can recover, just maybe we could too. The beginning of belief, the beginning of hope. By now, we could probably hardly wait to see what really did take place in Bill's life and how he recovered. And I don't think it's by accident the very next chapter is titled, There Is a Solution. There is a solution to the to the thing that Bill has really described in his own story here and to what Dr. Silkworth has talked to us about it. Now, if our problem is powerless, which we should be convinced of that by now, then obviously the answer is going to lie within power. We do know that it was never necessary for him to take another drink from this day until the day that he died. Something profound took place in his life that day. Bill always said, I had a vital spiritual experience... As the result of these steps, during which old ideas were cast aside and replaced with a new set of ideas, and I was able able to live the rest of my life without drinking. Now, here's a guy that went in the hospital, selfish and self-centered to the extreme.